Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the executive director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen to audiences around the world. Each week we endeavor to bring you a new interview with someone who's been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry Nouwen. We invite you to share the daily meditations and these podcasts with your friends and family. Through them, we can continue to reach our spiritually hungry world with Henry's writings, his encouragement, and of course, his reminder that each of us is a beloved child of God. Now, let me take a moment to introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Ray Aldred. Dr. Ray Aldred is a status Cree Indian. Uh, He is the interim dean of the Vancouver School of Theology. And at this school, Dr. Aldred is the director of the Indigenous Studies Program. Ray also leads the Teaching House That Moves Around, an internationally recognized initiative that addresses the need for truth, reconciliation, and healing amongst Indigenous peoples, and fosters understanding for all societies. Ray, tell me a little bit about the Teaching House That Moves Around. What exactly is this? Well, it came out of a discussion with the Archbishop Mark McDonald, who is uh, the Archbishop of the Indigenous Anglican Church in Canada. And we were talking about how, for theological education, the focus that most seminaries have in North America is on the competent individual. So all the focus and energy goes into training individuals but it doesn't address what a community could do or what communities have been doing to meet their spiritual needs. So we tried to shift the focus to think about how could we build capacity in communities and not primarily in the individual priests. This was also because there's a lack of priests and most Most indigenous clergy don't make a lot of money. A lot of them do it for no money. And so we were trying to build capacity and use sort of what was already been used in the community successfully in the past. And so on the West Coast here and then up into Alaska where Mark was, it was common that when in a younger person wanted to learn about life and about understanding to live life in a good way, they would go to the to an elder's house. So we just thought, let's call this the teaching house that moves around. And it was community-based. So what we did was go into a community and we asked the community if we could do something here that would bring together theological education, uh, health, and indigenous identity, what what would that be? And people told us, and then we'd say, well, who do you think would be the best team to bring in? So then we would assemble a team, and then we'd go in and do from five to three to five days of intensive community education 
And then we would follow up and ask them if they were able to put any of those things that we had talked about and learned into practice. And that was the teaching house that moves around. Can I ask you, it sounds to me very holistic, like it wasn't just one thing, but it was a, a holistic vision that you had. Uh, it was. It was and is very effective because this whole initiative was, uh, we, we just built on what communities had already been using in different ways traditionally. And we just came alongside what communities were already trying to do and were doing. And we just sort of gave more energy to what they were doing. And we worked, the key was to work closely with the existing church that was in the community, because in that way, it ensured that once we were gone, it would continue. This kind of training would continue. Was it very interdenominational when you say you worked with the existing church? Was it Catholic in some cases, Anglican in others, and, and Pentecostal in others? How, what, what were you finding that you incorporated? Yeah, we had all kinds of folks who came for the training. Uh, most Indigenous communities, ha- you know, they're Anglican, like you said, or they're uh, Salvation Army or they're... And so we, what was important to us is just to identify a church that was willing to work with us. And so that's what we did. And, and basically the differences, we didn't focus on the differences. We focused on what we have in common, which is the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we always tried to, we always did in the morning, we did gospel based discipleship. So we would read the gospel of the day and then we would, as a community, reflect on what Jesus was saying to us. And what this was calling us to do. And then during the day, that seemed to have implications for the training we were doing. The main teachings that we did were around ministry in the midst of trauma. Because there's a lot of trauma that people were facing. And so we tried to focus. And this is where, with the book we're going to talk about, Henry Nowen's book, about we focused on how in the Eucharist, we can see a pattern for life and ministry that we were taken and blessed, broken and given. And that was our lives. And this recognition helped us to understand that Jesus not only loved us, but he liked us, which was key. And, uh, and so we, we found that very effective. And then the other a teaching series of teachings that we did were was around indigenous Christology, that how could Jesus hold together our traditional understanding of creation and how we came to be where we are and the Christian account creation story. How does, how do we hold these two things together? And we, and we, and we would teach about how Christ holds these things together which many of them were already doing and even elders in the past had done that and we just came and shone a light using some of the indigenous students that i had here they would come and teach with me we would just shine a light on examples in the past of where our elders did this very thing and we were just walking in their footsteps 
thinking in ways that they had thought, which is the basis of spirituality. One of the things about spirituality and ceremony is that when we do these ceremonies, we're thinking and we're saying the things that our ancestors said and our elders thought, and we're probably even feeling some of the things that they felt. And that's helps us to live. Now, in the wake of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission here in Canada, uh, which was about Canadian residential schools, um, Canadians have often viewed Christianity as the enemy of Indigenous people. Is there another side to this, Ray? We encountered most Indigenous people didn't want to give up the Christian faith. What they wanted to do, though, was talk about the trauma they had experienced in these different residential schools and in these different situations. And uh, I remember talking to one individual who said it wasn't what the residential school was, the failure, how many Indigenous people saw the failure of the residential school was the churches did not take care of our children, and they said they would. And that was the failure on the church's part. For a lot of these, these a lot of these kids were were Christians. They were baptized into the church, and but for some reason, some parts of the church thought they weren't Christian enough, and so they attempted to re-socialize them. Mm-hmm. And and so what we do really is we, when you talk about ministry in the midst of trauma, we help people to begin to feel and talk about what happened in their lives and then and then to look at the distortion that's come because of what happened you know we we affirm folks for coping mechanisms because most people do they've done something right to make it this far in life mm-hmm. but Coping strategies were never meant to be the way that we live all the time, you know, like mm. a coping strategy for, for us when we're experiencing trauma is to numb, we go numb and this helps us to make it through whatever we're enduring. But if that numbness became our pattern of life, that was never what the creator intended. So what we help individuals to see is that there is something beyond being numb that it's possible to feel and to embrace the love of the creator and see that life is still flowing out of us even though we've been damaged and it go, and that and i gleaned that from the things that i read henry now in writing in books like the life of the beloved in the name of Jesus. And we were really also, for me, we were following the pattern of, uh, and he writes in Christian ministry that we were trying to make a space for people to be, for people to be who the creator made them to be. And that's what we were doing in the teaching house. We were making a sacred space and that's how we began. We began with the gospel Uh, in the center 
and we reminded ourselves that we were related to all things. And then this is a sacred space in which we could talk about hard things that happen and find healing. I am delighted to be talking to you about it because it spreads beyond the Indigenous community. There are so many that would be listening today that will hear in what you're sharing words that they need for what's happening in their life. And I'm always constantly amazed at how Henry is able to speak to those who are are deeply, understand a, a deep sense of brokenness within. Um, at the heart of the Indigenous people's quest for healing is a shift in identity from shame to dignity of heritage. And yes. I, I'm delighted to know, I, I, I read that from you, you said that, but I'm delighted to know that Henry has something to offer to that. I, I know that you've done some very specific teaching on this. Maybe you'd like to share a little bit more in a sense about this process of healing. Yeah, well, we actually developed, it was a program that we had taken on leading a small group for people who had suffered abuse. Now we'd taken this training, but the problem with it was, oh, there was lots of good things about it, but one of the, this, the, one of the things that it was, I won't call it lacking, but what it needed was an indigenous friendly overarching sort of outline or shell to put around it for, to talk about it. And I thought that, that the whole Eucharist as the way that Henry Nowen presented in the life of the beloved, that that would be how we would talk about these things. And so when we began the training, so we started doing these four-day training events. We called them Inanamoan, which is an OG Cree word, which means the feelings that I have in my heart. And we said, let's come away and talk about the feelings we have in our heart. And so then we would, and then so the different points, I would talk about that, uh, that we were taken and blessed that was usually near the beginning. And I said, if we're taken and blessed, that if, if Henry Nouwen said the first step in the Christian life is to understand that you are the beloved. And I said, to be honest, lots of us have never come to that place that we could say, we know that Jesus loves us and he likes us. And why is that? I remember one teaching I was doing that teaching and someone came up to me and they said, show me in the Bible where it says that Jesus likes us. <laughs> and I said, I said, in John, Jesus said, I've not called you servants. I've called you friends. And, uh, and then, uh, and then, so then, but then we asked the question. So if, if the first step in the Christian life is to understand that you are the beloved. Why are so many of us living without that understanding, even though we've been in the church our whole lives? And then we put our finger on shame and how abuse, the, the insidious side of abuse is that the person who's abused, if it's a child, ends up feeling shame. They've taken in, they feel this illegitimate shame. And if you think about sin as something that blocks a person from receiving love, then they're 
they're encapsulated in their abuser's sin. And it's not the fault of the child, but they're, they're impacted by it anyways. And they need help. And so then we talk about how we need someone to hear us and listen to us and to remind us again and again that we are taken blessed and loved. And so then the way that, so then the way that, that we talk about how we've been broken, we've been broken, but we shift it to understand we want to come to the place that Joseph did when he said to his brothers, what you meant for bad, God still used for good. Not that the abuse was good or it should never have happened, but somehow, despite this, somehow the creator can do something and life will come out of us. So that's, we talked about broken. So we talked about illegitimate shame, different coping strategies that people use, distortions, distortions about how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see the creator. And then we talk about what would it be like if you began to love with your whole heart, what would that, and we call, and we call that, and, and then we say, that's what repentance is. Repentance is not primarily about, you know, at Lent when everybody feels bad and looks at their shoes for 40 days. <laughs> that's, that's not primarily repentance. Repentance is a gift that we turn to life. We turn back to all those relationships that maybe we been neglecting because we thought they were too painful and we begin to dream about what would it be like if I loved with my whole heart and we try to make a safe space where people can do that and then begin to get a vision about how maybe their life could look just a little bit different in little ways and it starts primarily with them and then in that way they're not dependent upon primarily upon someone else changing so that they could be different you know in circumstances where they're in a destructive relationship perhaps they need to think about shifting out of that but for many of us you know this thing happened to us when we were kids but it still visits us every time something goes sometimes it can be the smallest thing i remember one of the examples we talked about is someone someone leaves a pair of socks in the middle of the living room or something and right away we're upset we're going well, don't you love me if you love me you wouldn't leave that you know there's just so <laughs> and this because these things that happen to us come back but then we begin to embrace we realize yes we have been broken yet christ still loves us and he likes us and then we've been given and then we we begin to have people that they're, the gift that they give the world is them, that they are a gift. And we even talk about, you know, when a person comes to the end of your life, Henry wrote, the greatest gift that they ever give, you ever give, is when, you, you're, when your life is done and your memory mm -hmm. moves other people to live in a better way. So that's kind of how we present the whole and in the last borrowing from life signs, we celebrate. And you know, the, the last thing we do is we do this, we do a round dance. <laughs> and you know, 
we have people who dance who from the residential school they had learned that they should hate their culture and that's how they'd live yet they do this traditional round dance with us and we just have fun oh. for a few minutes <laughs> and i always tell and i always tell people look if you're uncomfortable dancing don't worry about it you just you know have a seat or stand by the side but we've never had anybody who didn't want to dance sounds to me like you're you're creating wounded healers you're you're developing wounded healers out of this incredible uh deep move of the spirit that that's lovely oh, yeah yeah i will always remember repentance is love with your whole heart i love that <laughs> it's beautiful yeah because that's kind of what when i read the books henry nowen's books and I watched what he did with his life and how he left, you know, you know, pretty significant teaching positions to be basically a chaplain for people who had cognitive and physical limitations to me. And, and there he writes that he, that's kind of, he found that was life. Mm. See, because the challenge for lots of, lots of us indigenous people is that we, I remember at points in my life, I thought I was too bad. I was too bad for God to ever use or to like, or to love. And I got into this unhealthy thinking and, and it really kind of, I never could, I, I was five years into ministry before I really embraced the love of God. And it was from, reading Henry Nouwen's books and working through my issues. And this is when I finally embraced the love of Christ. And I'd been ordained for several years already. This was the strange thing. But I think lots of us live like that. I, I'm, I'm deeply moved. Just what you've just shared right now about your own life and about you know being so far into ministry before you could understand that you were beloved. I think that issue of self-hatred is one of the most profound things that Henry touches on with such honesty that we all go, oh my goodness, you've seen my heart. Um, I want to ask you a specific question that has been, I think, particularly a problem with the Native uh, community, and it's been the issue of suicide. And I'm wondering yeah. where, I'd, I love your insights and your wisdom on this. Well, what happens when we get wounded by life, you know, with abuse, what happens is we develop illegitimate shame, as I talked about before, but I think we begin to hate ourselves. I know that, uh, that I've talked about it before. I mean, I, I thought that I was too bad for God to love and lots of young people think that way. I remember I was doing a teaching in a particular place and a school counselor came up and said, that's it. That's what, that's what many young people struggle with is this feeling that I'm unlovable. It happened in my life. I mean, I was, I remember when I left home when I was 16, I got in a fight with my mom and she said, I said a bunch of things and she said some things. And I remember I walked out the door. And I remember I was walking out the door. I remember thinking, 
I am so bad, my mother cannot even love me. Oh. And, and this causes people to engage in all kinds of destructive behavior because they think they're not. So it turns into self-contempt, self-hatred, and people engage in these destructive behaviors because they believe that they're not lovable. Or it turns outward and it turns into other people contempt and it turns, pushes people away. In the ministry, I see people sometimes who are so, they've been hurt so much, they decide they're not going to hurt anymore. But the problem is if you shut off your feelings, you can't feel love either. It's true, maybe you won't feel as hurt, but you won't feel love either. So, and that's an issue. And so what a lot of the ministry that we do is just reminding people that God loves them and he likes them. And that's the gospel. (laughs) Uh, That's the gospel that God so loved the land that he gave his only son, which is how if you back translate a Cree translation of John 3.16, in Cree it says, God so loved the land that he gave his only son. The land is all creation, all the creatures, all human beings, all the two-leggeds and the four-leggeds and the winged. Wow. Those, those that crawl and those that swim, everything. God so loved the land. And that we just focus on the fact that God loves us and he likes us. And he meets us. In the midst of our pain, he meets us. There is no place where we can go that the creator is not there and we just try to create this space where people can see that even if they feel their pain again a little bit we try to do it in a controlled way we're we're not trying to dig up wounds or make people you know wallow in their pain or anything like that we're just what we're trying to do is just to help people see that if they begin to feel and work through these issues that there is of sustaining love and grace to begin to heal. Henry Nouwen talked about the fact that there's a deep, there's this pool of pain in the midst of our being, and it's like a bottomless pit. And if we step into it, there's no bottom. And he said, but we're, we are called to dance around the edges. And as we do that, and we begin to move through it, and we can hear the voice of the creator, then there's some healing that comes. And that's what we're trying to do. And that's the challenge for young people that they need spaces where they can be reminded that God loves them. And it's been documented and lots of people talk about how this is multi-generational for residential schools because you had whole generations taken away from their families And they grew up in a setting where they didn't see holistic nurturing of and didn't learn parenting skills. And so when they had kids and they tried to, they did their best and are doing their best, yet they struggled with these kinds of uh, things because no one helped them work through their pain. Martin Brokenleg said, uh, if we don't learn healthy ways of working through our trauma, then we don't have the resources to teach our children and our grandchildren how to work through, you know, 
powerful things that happen in their lives. So that's the challenge. And we're slowly healing through the grace of the creator. You know, Ray, I'm, I'm deeply moved by what you're sharing. I know your background. You were born in Northern Alberta. Uh, you are a status Cree Indian from the Swan River Band of Treaty 8. And it's, it's just amazing to hear this journey that you walked out at 16. I take it you walked out of where you were born there in Northern Alberta. I'm curious. I'm, I'm wondering how you went from there to eventually becoming a minister. What, what happened? When I left home at 16, I mean, I got a job. And, I mean, I moved back home again. And uh, then I left. I started living with a girl when I was 19. And I got into drugs and alcohol. Almost died when I was 18 in a car accident. And uh, I remember thinking one time, that uh, God, I remember sitting, I was working in a sawmill or a plywood factory. And I remember looking at the sun coming up one day because I was working night shift. And I remember thinking, God, would you give me a sign? And then I remember thinking, why would God give me a sign? <laughs> and, uh, but eventually what happened is I was watching my older brother who had uh, embraced a life of following Christ. And I asked him one time and he explained to me. And I remember he said, you know, that God loves you. And I said, I believe it. And then he said, but your sin is sort of, you're missing them. You're missing the mark there. And I remember saying, yeah, that's kind of obvious. And he said, well, he said, God wants to be, to build his home in you. And if you ask him, he will put his spirit in you. This made sense to me. So I prayed when I was 19 years old. I, I said, God, I've done a lot of things wrong. And uh, would you forgive me? Put your spirit in me. Make me who you created me to be. And my whole life changed from that point on. Uh, I think 11 days later, I got married to the girl I was living with, and we're still married today. We'll be married 42 years, and uh, I think it's 42 this year. Wow. And, <laughs> and we have four kids and Aww. some grandkids. And then, you know, because I'm an addict and an alcoholic, I just didn't want to have any delusions of grandeur. I thought I should go into ministry right away. <laughs> but... But I waited eight years and then we, you know, I did an undergrad, started being the minister at a small indigenous church in Regina, which is where you met me and it went on to do an MDiv. And it was through all this ministering in indigenous churches and listening to the stories of people who had suffered tremendous abuse, more abuse than I had suffered that I realized what's going on here. And I remember when I heard, I was taking a class on uh, Christian writers and I read two books by Henry Nouwen and I thought, that's key. That's key that most of us 
have never come to the place where we understand that we are the beloved. We are the beloved. And to be honest, I went on this road trip, our missionary journey, me and another guy, we went to a bunch of First Nations churches. I think we drove about 3,000 miles in total visiting these different churches. And on the way, he kept asking me these questions about what was going on in my heart. And finally, I had a vision. And I don't know if it was because the creator just put it all into that vision. It was a very painful time. And I realized that I had made this vow that no one would ever hurt me because I didn't know what to do. I would always know what to do. And that vow had held me even in ministry. And I remember I was feeling all this pain. You see, and this is what happens in these little groups that we did in Anamon. I was feeling all of this pain. I felt, I felt all the pain of the trauma of disappointment and, and uh, of being treated so poorly. And I'm feeling all this. And my friend says to me, he says, Ray, there's something worse than your pain. And, and I said, really? What is it? And he said, it's your sin. And I remember thinking, you jerk. Who would say that to someone who's feeling so painful? And I said, and then I said, I said, okay, tell me, what is my sin? He says, you believe that you're unlovable. And I, I remember at that point, I thought, that's it. I have lived my Christian life thinking that I am too bad for God, that God's love is too small for me. And it held me. And so I said, God, give me the gift of repentance. And I began to weep. And I said, I receive your love. And I tell you, that, like I said, I was, I was already in ministry for five years. And everything changed. My prayer, the way that I prayed changed. I remember before when I used to pray, I used to just pray that I, I realized that now that I would just pray that circumstances was changed so that people wouldn't call me all the time distraught. And it shifted from praying that, you know, so-and-so would get healing so they wouldn't bother me to, you know, I never said they wouldn't bother me part, but really that's kind of <laughs> what your motivation was. And I found that it shifted. I just found that I was just, I just would pray, God, give me more love. Help me to love people so that they know that you love them. Help me to do that. Just give me more love. That gave me a sense of freedom that I had not known or could remember my whole life. Freedom just to love. Honestly, Ray, this has been so rich. I'm just kind of to the depths of my being hearing you uh, with um, profound and uh, penetrating truth, really. And it's interesting because I didn't say this at the beginning, but our, our audience is really a global audience, and probably most of the people listening to this are in the United States. And it's interesting because, in a sense, you bring a perspective, a very profoundly honest individual perspective, but also an understanding, a deep understanding of Indigenous people. And a, I, my sense is there's no borders on that. My sense is that this is going to have value to so many people. I was delighted. I got this email from you. You know, basically you were you were inquiring about uh, life of the beloved and whether you know we had some 
of those books because you could use them right now for groups that you were going out to. And that kind of reconnected us. And uh, I love the fact that you can make use of what Henry has to offer. But Henry, like you, found that center line at really that place of knowing, okay, I am God's beloved. I am that. He loves me. He likes me. That's so, that's so cool. Can I ask you, I'm going to ask you something totally different. I'm curious um, if right now we're, we're living through a time where we really have become aware and sensitive to uh, a tremendous amount of injustice that we want to see righted. And there's a lot going on with Black Lives Matter, but there's also very much an issue of how do we make sure that there comes up a, a true fairness and value of our indigenous peoples of North America, but particularly I say as a Canadian of Canadians. How, how do you speak to that? I think I would, uh, I'm going to riff off of Henry now and again. <laughs> in, uh, I think it's in the book, uh, in the name of Jesus. And, and, and he says, look, the solution the solution, theology is not to give people solutions to pain. Well, he doesn't say it in that many words, but he says, it's not about giving people solutions. This is about understanding how what we're experiencing fits in on the way to the resurrection. And another writer would say that, now I was reading another writer, William Stringfellow, who lived through the Vietnam War in the 70s. He practiced law in Harlem. I think he was a Harvard-trained lawyer. And he was uh, thinking about the tyranny of Nazism. And he said, and he was thinking about those who lived in resistance to the Nazi tyranny. And he said, resistance became the only human way to live. And I just think that we resist the urge to use the tools of violence and abuse to try to sort of achieve our ends. And one of the problems that we're facing with the residential school and with other programs in different countries that they use is that they're actually idolatry. They're idolat they make death their idol and they're trying to use death and destruction as a means for social engineering. And that's just wrong. Resistance is really to live as true human beings. So the examples that I can think of is, I remember reading another book that Henry Nouwen always stopped and talked to people. And what I remember this one person writing about him, what, what struck them was the fact that he would talk to people on the street, street people. And he was interested in their story. He would stand and listen to the person because they were important. They were important. And I just think that we need to live as true human beings to love one another and not let uh, abuse that happened. We need to learn to love in different ways. Like sometimes people think that love is just uh, letting stuff go. I mean, I think love is you need to help people work through their issues. When we think about abuse, the loving thing to do is to report abuse 
to the proper authorities and help the individual work through the process. Not so primarily they would be punished, the abuser, but so that they could find healing along with the people who have suffered at their hands. Because one thing we learned through the historical trauma of the residential schools is that it impacted everybody. It impacted everybody. Nobody is free from the impacts of this. So we all need healing. That's what the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was all about. The Indigenous people themselves, the residential school survivors are the ones who called for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission so that we could be reconciled. If you think about that, that's phenomenal that those who wounded, who were wounded the worst are the ones that we're calling for reconciliation, wow. coming together. And they paid for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission out of the settlement, their settlement from the government for the abuse they suffered. So Indigenous people called for reconciliation and continue to call for reconciliation, and they paid for it. And I just think wow. on one level, that's... I think that they have understood what it says that God so loved the land that he gave himself. And I think that was what Henry Nouwen was trying to say. Christian ministry was to give yourself away in love. So I think that people who go out to protest, I think they're doing a good thing as long as they don't get caught up in trying to use the same methods of those who have done the oppression, which is easy to get into. You know what I mean? Like you try to, you find yourself, you think you've got to use violence to mm -hmm. end violence. And yeah. Once you, once you start doing that, I don't know, it doesn't work out well. So I think we want to continue to love, shine a light. Sometime we need to engage in. You know, so one of the things that indigenous people have done over the years is they've refuse to just go along to get along you know that was <laughs> they've refused because they speak the truth but i would say most of it, they speak the truth in love and that was what the truth and reconciliation commission was all about speaking the truth but seeking reconciliation i heard about a group it was a friend of mine when she was doing her phd she studied the gospel when it came to the people uh, up the west coast of British Columbia. And the elders there, when they heard the gospel, they thought, this is amazing because this is a way to make peace with your enemy without, make, without war and without violence. And uh, I just thought that's, that's pretty cool. It's interesting because with the Truth and Reconciliation commission there came a call for actions and the responsibility is not just for those who paid for it that's that's an insight to me i gotta tell you but for all of us to say okay how do we help make sure those actions are taken that this doesn't sit on the shelf but this actually moves forward love going both ways love going yeah you know love going uh from from those responsible uh yeah. And love coming from those impacted by it. Yeah, for sure. So again, uh, someone you probably know. I don't know if he's still around. Pierre Allard. Yes. Yeah, I know Pierre. Well, 
I remember listening to him and I kind of bring some of his understanding into this whole process. And he said, look, restorative justice, you have to tell the truth and you have to really listen. And then you have to come up with a shared plan. And when we had these small groups, we were creating spaces where people could tell the truth mm-hmm. and they would have the experience of having someone really listen to them, really listen and hear their whole story. And that's intimacy, that having a place where someone could see exactly what I was like and still love me. And then, and I think that's what Henry provided for so many people, a someplace where you could be exactly who you were and you would still feel loved and then come up with a shared plan. And that's what repentance is. It's this shared plan. What would it be like if we took responsibility and stopped trying to figure out who's to blame? In some cases, that's important. But stop worrying about whether I'm innocent or not, but just take responsibility and begin to work to heal what's damaged in our society. I mean, that's what we need to do. And that's the place we're at in Canada. We need to come up with a shared plan, take responsibility. So in one sense, this pandemic gives us an opportunity. In one sense, we did that. We're doing it in fits and spurts. Sometimes we get frustrated, but we come together. We're taking responsibility. This is all our responsibility. We're trying to do something for the good of everyone. I think we just need to think about that when it comes to healing historic trauma we need to take responsibility for what happened and begin to work to heal another guy dietrich bonhoeffer said once you once people stop worrying about who's whether you're innocent or not and just take responsibility then you can begin to heal the damage done by the sins of society Ray, these words are words that are going way beyond our borders. And certainly right now, as we look at all the issues being raised of wanting to to right wrongs that are, are generational, I just love what you've just shared. You know, take responsibility and then begin the work. Begin the work uh, to heal. I, I think that's so important. And I think it's, it, you've just given it such credibility out of your own life and out of the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. And I love the way you find, you found, you've, you have plummeted the work of Henry now and, and found rich stuff and brought it to the surface. And you've, and I'm grateful for that. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Hey, well, I never got a chance to meet him in person, but, uh, his writing saved me in my ministry. Oh. Well, I know he would have enjoyed you, Ray. I absolutely know that. And and it's one of those things that, you know, uh, it means so much to me. I, when, I, when I started uh, in my position five years ago, I was really asking, is there still... Is there still a need for Henry's writing? And wanting to see where is it rippling out. So I'm always delighted to discover these wonderful, uh, to discover that the wealth that's there is, is feeding others. Somebody wrote us the other day and said, I found water and now I want to give it to others. And that was just, you know, the impact that he was having out of reading some of Henry's books. And I thought that describes it well. 
You find yes. something that meets your thirst and then you give it to others. Thank you so yes. much, Ray, for this interview. I'm really grateful. And uh, we will definitely uh, put contacts in our, uh, on our website uh, so that people can uh, learn more and uh, follow up more. And I think I might even... I might even post the um, Truth and Reconciliation report because I think some people might find that very helpful. Yes. But thank you so much. This has been good. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I deeply enjoyed Dr. Ray Aldred's insights and his understanding. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I won't be the same. I got so much out of it, and I hope it's the same for you and that you'll pass it on to others. For more resources related to today's podcast, click on the links on the podcast page of our website. You can find additional content, book suggestions, and other related materials, including a link to books to get you started, in case you're new to the writings of Henry Nowen. Thanks for listening. Until next time.